Hey kids, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this month we're featuring Nicole Biancasino, the co-founding artistic director of the award-winning Project Y Theater Company, where they've been developing and directing new work for the past 16 years. It's a nonprofit organization of artists, designers, and playwrights devoted to developing new work, yay, through staged readings, online video projects, workshop productions, and fully produced world premieres. This allows new and emerging voices to be part of the theatrical conversation, which we need desperately. She also curates the Women in Theater Festival. It's an annual going into their second year. And it's going to take place this coming June in New York City. The aim of Women in Theater Festival is to promote gender parity by featuring the work of women writers. You can find out more at projectytheatry.org. We started talking with Nicole about uh, Project Y and uh, how it got started. Project Y Theater Company was founded by Andrew Smith and I uh, in 1998 in Washington, D.C. Um, so it's a company that has significant history behind it at this point. Um, we operated in D.C. for many years, and then at a certain point, we decided to move the company to New York City. And so the company has been in New York City for since, nine, since 2008. We've been producing um, new plays in New York City. We initially founded the company to do um, work that was uh, unseen uh, in D.C. We didn't, we didn't have the aesthetic of working with playwrights in the room all the time as that being the main focus of our company, um, but just doing very actor-driven work, um, heightened style of language, and really that was coming from an impulse of the type of theater we as very young people were uh, found ourselves gravitating towards and, and wanting to be a part of and wanting to help produce. When we reformed in New York City in 2008, we spent a lot of time thinking about why we were uh, bringing this company to New York City rather than letting it die out, uh, you know, having had its its time in D.C. is a very respected small company there and one of the first sort of com small companies to make a splash in the city. Uh, and and it was, uh, you know, the, this feeling that we really wanted to support new work being made for the stage that drove us to reform, uh, re reform this company. And so we committed ourselves to um, producing and developing the work of uh, new plays for the stage in New York. What kind, and, of, what, what kind of new work are you, are you, are you looking for? So the for? first play we did, so that this is something that now, now we have like a very crystal clear sort of mission, uh, but, but it's not something that came overnight. It sort of came uh, from almost daily, if not monthly reflection on like, why are we doing this? You know, we always ask ourselves the questions, why are we still doing this? Why do we still have this uh, small theater company in New York when, you know, all the forces that be seem to be against you all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we were excited by uh, playwrights who write in some sort of, it, it's, you know, it, it's a strange thing to say, but let's say like a hyper real realistic way in some with some sort of style these words mean nothing there is totally meaningless some style some hyper real but but some sort of larger than life ability of characters to represent in some way real life on stage but amplified um and i don't know how to describe it further than to say 
that I know the play when I read it or when I see it that I'm talking about. So um, sort of like a kitchen sink realistic drama is not what we do, but yet we're not doing plays about Martians and other planets. We're interested so in the somewhere human in the experience. Middle. Yeah. Somewhere in the middle, yeah. And really uh, a very sort of language-based approach to um, new work is our general aesthetic uh, that that we do work with playwrights as playwrights and not you know, n- not normally uh, from some sort of devised method of working. Gotcha. Um, what's the difference between working in New York and working in D.C.? <sighs> so I don't know what it's like now, but I can speak to then. Um, then, uh, you know, as a scrappy uh, person out of college, I could actually, with my with not coming from money and with my uh you know waitressing and various jobs could afford to rent a small space in dc put up an actual full season of multiple plays um i I could do that um when we came to new york in 2008 the big difference became clear uh immediately and that's money uh it's almost impossible to produce anything in new york anyone who's producing anywhere from the smallest basement theater to the largest it's the amount of money that goes towards space, number one, is staggering. So just the real estate, it's like it controls all of the choices that are made for almost everybody working in theater. So how do you um, manage that? I mean, it's uh, obviously New York is hyper expensive. It's one of the yeah. most expensive cities in the world. So how does uh-huh. a But it's like it's the most talented people. I mean, not the most talented, but it's the biggest amount of very talented people per square foot as well. So it's like you have this wealth of creative people in this small space and the space is expensive. So, you know, the trade-off is if you do a play, you basically can work with the most, you know, you have a a choice of so many amazing talented artists to be part of that process in New York City. So it's sort of worth the struggle in some way. Um, And also you just make every choice count. And so you asked me about the the name Project Y. And it comes out of um, allowing each play we choose to basically become the the sm- the shorter mission of that season so if we do if we if we all gather around a play normally we do in new york we we you know in dc we did many plays every year in new york we normally do one sometimes two a year because uh, that's what we can afford so it's very scaled back and we we look at one play and we think where is the best place for this play and if the best place is a, a shinier theater we raise the money and do what we can to make it happen if the best place is actually like a pop-up tour in like in bars in brooklyn we'll do it that way so our mission and our name reflect uh, reflect promoting the work of playwrights and doing whatever we can to serve that play, starting with we have made no choices about where this play will be done. Right. Let's let it all come from your work. But it's all women playwrights, correct? No, this is um, not, not the company. The company has now formed a brand new festival called the Women in Theater Festival, and gotcha. this will be the second year of that festival. Aha! Okay. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So our first play that we did in New York was um, Fubar by Carl Gajasek, who's mm-hmm. a, you know, he's a he's a, a a very big writer on a lot of TV shows um, on Showtime and um, NBC and uh, new Netflix series. So, you know, we've been able to work with amazing playwrights, men and women, um, 
for the past many years. And this new thing that we're doing, the Women in Theatre Festival, is a response to gender disparity across the board in theatre and trying to promote the work of women uh, playwrights and other women artists by showcasing them in New York City, which is a very difficult place to ever get produced in. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it is. I haven't tried. <laughs> I, I haven't tried producing myself down there yet. But then again, I haven't won the haven't won the lottery either. Yeah, um, exactly, exactly. So, but you know, we're we're my company. I mean, we're very grassroots. I mean, we I started a company by writing a letter to everyone I know and saying, "Can you give me um, the price of a movie ticket? You know, twenty dollars or thirteen dollars, I think it was at that time." Mm-hmm. And many people did, and some people gave more, but most people gave $13, which is at the time what we thought was like what you would spend if you went to the movies. Um, and so we saw, we still sort of keep that grassroots um, approach to fundraising that we are, although I write the grants and I do other things now to get more money in, in, in bigger increments, they're still really small. And so we haven't sort of lost that like, you know, past the hat sort of mentality um, in terms of the way that we raise money for each of the seasons. And it kind of works because we have these donors who've been with us for over the course of 15 years. Um, and it's, I think, because it's very manageable for them to support our company and to be part of that community. Okay. So you, you moved here, uh, you moved to New York City, you said in 2008? Yeah, the company. Mm-hmm. Okay. And your donors have been with you for longer than that? Yeah, since DC, many of them. So they stuck with you for they stuck with you through the move from DC to New York. Mm-hmm. Now some people didn't, you know, some people well, did not, but many did. Well, some did, and I, I think that's remarkable, actually, because mm-hmm. usually once you uh, once you leave a, a a venue, you have to pretty much start all over. Yeah, it's the tricky thing about being a homeless theater company. You know, we don't own our own space. Mm-hmm. So if if you were going to be a loyal audience member and like our work, you would have already been used to sort of following us anyway. We, gotcha. we have no home. And that's that's a plus sometimes for the plays that we produce because it means we find a home for those plays. Um, although it has its drawbacks because, you know, as you're speaking to the retention of those audience members, people want to go in their neighborhood to see theater oftentimes. So... Right. Um, if they like your play and then you're not at that same theater, not everyone's going to follow you yeah, to some true. other borough. Right. Um, yeah. okay. So what's your, what's your day job? So I am a hobo and I, um, <laughs> <laughs> I have like 85,000 jobs that I do. Oh, um, you are the classic so- starving artist in New York. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm actually speaking to you from Vermont, where I have uh, like a semester-long teaching gig right here. So, I so I teach at Rutgers often mm-hmm. um, University. Uh, I direct freelance. Um, I coach solo work. Um, I work with a lot of solo performers, um, and I sometimes. Uh, like do some assisting, like producing on TV. So I sort of cobble together um, yeah. a living. And I also have three children. So I'm very uh, a strange being in the theater world of independent theater. How do you even manage to have time to run Project <laughs> Y? Because, okay, wait. You, you listed the jobs. Well, it's and, joyful. And, and, it's joyful for me. Yeah. I mean, I it's 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 a it's joyful for me, even though it's a lot of horrible work, um, 
the fact that I actually get to do this mm-hmm. is incredible and that I'm an adult and that I'm, you know, absolutely middle-aged and I'm still, so it's like, as long as I can manage to maintain this lifestyle, I will do it. Okay. I, I, I want to burst a lot of people's bubbles out there in podcast land. You're an artistic director. What do you spend your time doing? Um, uh, because most of, a lot of people out yeah. there think, oh, we get to pick all these really wonderful plays and we get to no. direct one a year and we get to write one. And yeah. Yeah. And it's honestly, it's so not like that. No, it's not like that at all. Um, I, so I write a lot of grants. Um, I, I research a lot of grants. I you have um, my deepest sympathies. Yeah, it's really, I mean, you know, and some grants, many grants actually, you know, are like, you know, you'll put in um, full, full work weeks of, of time, multiple, and then you don't get it. And it's like those hours are gone and right. you, you don't have the money to show for it. Um, and then I also, you know, um, oversee budgets. I do fundraising most of the time. Like, you know, like some seasons, it's all about like trying to draft the letter or the thing that's going that we're going to send out. So I do fundraising twice a year. I do like the horrible online campaigns for projects as well. Um, and then if I have, we have a show that's going into a theater, we're trying to do that. And then I have to go over those contracts and then get the insurance and then figure out who, um, and, and it's not just, I mean, I'm in a great position because I share these responsibilities with Andrew Smith, who's the co-artistic director. So when I said I get the insurance, he actually got the, is, is dealing with the insurance hassle on this current project that we're doing. So, um, but it's like a lot of, um, bureaucratic nightmare kind of stuff that we deal with. And then we've managed to get um, some, some of the smaller, you know, uh, government grants recently, but those also carry a lot. It's, it's almost like if you did the hourly, if you, if you gave yourself an hourly wage for what, for the amount of money you get from the grant, you'd be making pennies exactly. per hour. Yeah. But it's all fun, so, right? It's all that's not fun at all. <laughs> Yeah, um, I know. I've but, done my share of grants, and it's, it's, a, it's a nightmare. Yeah, that's not fun. But it's it's just part of it's it's you know, and and I mean, you're right in saying like, is that the most time spent is doing that drudge work? And it is. Yeah, it yeah. is. It, it's um, running a theater is so much time is is spent making sure the theater exists by next Wednesday mm-hmm. than it is with any of the creative work and. Mm-hmm. It's such a difficult thing to to do. It's it's such a you have to do it for love because you'd you'd be a complete idiot to do it for any other reason. I mean, nobody goes yeah, and, into and the burnout rate is very high. It's oh so high. Oh, I, I mean, of course it is. Yeah, it's it's just ridiculous. Um, let's get back to the work you do with the playwrights. Um, on your website, you say you're focusing on one project at a time and allowing the play's needs to inform all creative and producing choices. And you're talking about development. Let's talk about yeah. the development because I'm, I'm always fascinated with development. And I love the fact that you say it's the play's needs that inform the creative and producing choices. So... So, yeah. so this is the thing is, you know, Andrew, um, who is my co-artist director, he's an actor by profession and he 
he's an actor, and yet he and I were always in agreement when we came to New York that we would that this was a a company that we would that 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 was the goal of like making the play first. And it's kind of why we never had a company of actors, because the minute you do that, you're also serving the actors' needs, and that is not always the same as the needs of a particular play. So we found those to be in direct opposition, and decided we just didn't want that to be. Um, in terms of development and, and letting a play and or a relationship with a playwright and the theater grow, I do feel like this is something we have, we, we made it part of our mission and then we stuck to it and I love it. And it's that we do every year a reading series for the past seven years, seven or eight years, maybe we're going into our eighth year and it's around a theme. So a theme is loose and broad. So one year we did, um, Holy Cow plays about religion, faith, and life after death. So that's a very loose theme under which many plays might apply. Right. Comedies, tragedies, different types of playwrights. Um, we've done uh, racy plays, plays about um, race and culture. So again, like you're not, it, it could be any type of a play, but we just use it to sort of give an overall thrust uh, for a season of readings. And then we find plays um, for these uh, for these under these themes and we do that through open submission and also reaching out to specific playwrights and then having them reach out to their contacts and of those plays basically any play that we later on produce with project y comes directly out of that reading series and or our developmental playwright groups because we also support a group of playwrights for a year to have space. And it's, it's moderated by uh, Leah Romeo, who's this incredible playwright. She's our literary manager. So twice a week they meet for several hours, they read each other's plays and they give critiques. So that we make no money off of either of these. It's all free. And yet it's so uh, central to helping a play's process. Um, and then we just decide to be a company that actually puts its money where its mouth is and, and saves playwrights from this endless cycle of reading after reading after reading right. and say, like, you know, if you do a reading with us, we're not saying we're going to produce your play, but we only produce the playwrights that, that have been in our readings for. and or, or, or are now, since we've done the playwright group, this is our third playwright group, that's also a way into, like, developing a play and developing a relationship with the company. So playwrights respond so positively to this because they're like, wait a minute, you're saying that, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm in this reading series, you're doing six to eight plays this year, and like, of these, you know, this is how you're going to choose your seasons in future? Yes. So that's really unique. Um, and I try to find other models where that exists to that, in that way, and, and I haven't been able to find one yet. Um, they do exist. I can't name them off the top of my head, but I'm sure that, um, well, that is the reason you do a reading. Yeah, exactly. That promise. But often that is not what ends up happening in actuality. Right. Well, I, I was going to ask about the selection process. I mean, how you find that one play at that particular time, but, um, mm -hmm. Uh, is is there any kind of criteria that, that that stands out? Is there anything you you particularly look for? I mean, you were talking about the larger than life, but not a Martian thing. Um, uh, yeah, how, so, how... so that's more for our for our reading series. Um, it's it's actually looser than you know that. Like it's um, so between myself and Leah Romeo, the literary manager, mm -hmm. um, 
we read the plays that come in um, and and Lee is really good. Like she has for three years and she's about to do her fourth one, curated a group for the playwrights group of people who are, are very different types of writers. So that's what she's trying to do is like create some sort of community of um, more established playwrights with a little bit less established playwrights, different writing styles and things. So that's a much more um, like style wise diversified group. Gotcha. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So you're a writer yourself. I am not. I'm a director. Okay. Um, <laughs> how do you, how, uh, it's, how do you find working with the playwrights in development? Cause I know every playwright is different and some of us absolutely welcome the, the uh-huh. added benefit of a director who knows her work and a dramaturg who knows how to make a play, mm-hmm. you know, uh, edge along to its, its natural fruition. And I say natural fruition, as opposed to, well, let's crowbar in a, you know, a happy feel-good ending so everybody walks yeah, out yeah. of here, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, it's it's a tricky process, isn't it? Yeah, it's really tricky. I mean, for me, that is what, I mean, I feel like that is if I have some sort of specialty like or something that I love doing, that's my that's really become my favorite part of uh, a process is working with a playwright um, over time, either in the rehearsal room for the production, but even um, most of my processes have started far before that time, like through some sort of development process. Um, I think the trickiest part is uh, just the first couple times <laughs> that you're <laughs> together or that you're because you don't have a vocabulary, you don't know each other, you don't even, and for me, um, I really try to uh, to, I, I, for me, what the the mark of that I've done well is that the playwright is happy. <laughs> that the playwright, when they see the production on the stage, that as the production that they would like to be on the stage, whether it was the same one they had in mind when we first started working together or not, that that doesn't matter. It's that this is the play that they want the world to see. And so I really try to get to know like who, like where this playwright, what this playwright is trying to do with their play um, and sort of like the main thrust of, of their, what they want basically from the play and the sort of ways that the play functions based on this particular playwright voice. And I love that. And I actually find it to be something that, is quite stressful at first. And then once you build a relationship is just joyful because there's a certain, you know, thing that happens over time when you work with a playwright that you become very much on the same page so that you start to know their voice in a really intimate way and can help support that with the actors and right. with the designers too. How, how, what's the length of time of working with a playwright? I don't know. Is I mean, it... it really depends. You know, our rehearsal process for production are short, Again, we are ruled by money and resources, so, you know, four to five weeks for rehearsal. Um, But so, I mean, you know, I'll just keep mentioning her because I just want to give shout-outs to Leah Romeo, who's – I've just worked – she's up right now for a couple awards for a play we just did together. But her production of Connected, we did a reading of years and years ago. Then we did another reading of it together, you know, each time sort of working with it, and then we ended up – doing it as a production and she would come in and we would work with it. So that's, that's like a years long process. Now, did right. it, were we working every day for the years? No, but it sort of was all part of what's going on. Um, ongoing process. When you see it. Yeah. Cool. That's, it sounds wonderful. I've, I've done 
dramaturgy and uh, and I love doing dramaturgy. I love getting into yeah. the 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 workings of a play, working with the playwright. Because mm-hmm. I know my own introduction to workshopping was, wait a minute, you're tinkering with my play. Wait a minute, yeah. hold on, what yeah, are you doing? Yeah, uh, but yeah. It, it turned out to be a brilliant, brilliant experience, and I've been. Um, a devotee of of the entire process, and I know there are playwrights out there who are like, I'm not letting anybody touch my work. Well, because it's, there are, I mean, I've also been as a producer. I've been on the other side when a playwright comes to me and said, you know, this director is like changing my stuff when I'm not, you know, she's like having the actors do this crazy shit when I'm not there, and like, and then te- and then almost telling me that she's made line changes. Like, and so for me, when I hear that, it's like my stomach lurches. It's oh, like, don't God. do that. Do not. Um, so I think that happens a lot to younger playwrights. Sometimes that they get in a, in a, an out of whack power balance relationship and don't mm-hmm. know what to do. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm just talking about the happy, the happiest of times when it all, <laughs> when it all sort of uh, works out. The best of all possible rehearsal processes. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Let's talk about Women in Theater Festival because I am fascinated by this. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I love the idea because we. I've been hearing the gender disparity problem for I can't even begin to tell you how long. Um, yeah. When I, uh, when I went to Goddard, I was surrounded by people who were basically talking, you know, well, if you're a woman, you're not, really not going to get your stuff done. Mm, and mm-hmm. then they point to me and say, well, he's going to get his stuff done, even if it's no good. You have the Women in Theater Festival. This is a three-week festival, of new plays by diverse women artists. So... How did that happen? And <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. What what um, does it happen? Talk about it. Let's. So let's... so we so again actually so for for many years I was, you know, hearing the same thing and and basically I I read the, this article that came out. Um, it was based on like statistics about it was like when there was like some state of women in theater sort of statistical evidence of. Um, just how few uh, women had any sort of position of power in the theater, meaning like from playwright to director to designers um, and, you know, and roles for women to, you know, uh, outnumber, you know, on almost any play uh, at the time that these statistics were taken, it would be, you know, like four to one, at least men on stage to women. So, you know, you would read, and I, at the time I was teaching um, in a college and I would look in the class and it would be all women, you know, and for years it had been like, you know, in an acting class, seven women to one guy, you know, so, and that was something that uh, I think it was Teresa Rebeck stated in the article. It's like, if anybody who's at a university setting knows that like the graduates were sending out the, like the disparity is actually with men, not with women. So then by the time you actually reach post like academic life, none of those women have the opportunity to act, even though they are the ones who were trained. So it's like, it was this weird, you know, that's sort of like a, like a, like a yarn that I'm telling you about mm-hmm. me teaching, but it's, but you know, you could just palpably feel the, that there were less opportunities and that made me very depressed. And well, which is what then professors I started, are saying. It's nice to see a man in the classroom for once. Exactly. But the thing is, then when you go out in the world, really the, the opportunity for women was so much smaller, and and still is, and it's it's we're in a, a process of change right now, but just because there's a lot of people like me who are reacting to it, um, and people, you know, who are, anyway. So, so basically, um, 
I, with Leah, we made a, a reading series called Parity Plays, P-A-R-I-T-Y, right. and we, we, they could be written by men or women, but we had one stipulation, and it was that at least 50% of the cast, whatever size, was women. So it was like we were going to do readings by playwrights who were writing for gender equal or more women than men cast. So we had amazing plays. And actually, that was a year where all the plays were so different because there was really no theme that was involved in terms of the content of the play. It was more about just the gender makeup of the cast. Uh, we had so many submissions. We had so many submissions from playwrights who are done everywhere, you know, like a much namier playwrights than we would normally get. And, and we, we thought this is something people are really interested in, actually. Like this is touching on a nerve. And, and already I had been, begun to formulate the fact that I wanted to do something a little bit more um, proactive rather than feeling depressed. Um, so we came up with the idea of doing a festival uh, of women lead, uh, lead artists. So all of the writers had to be women in this, but many women do work with, um, you know, men or women directors. So mm -hmm. we felt that if a playwright has a relationship or something with a director, that's fine. But if, but we wanted to have anybody who was kind of leading the project be the woman. And for us, that meant the playwright. So gotcha. I went out in search of these people, uh, <laughs> these women who were writing plays. I had, um, you know, we wrote emails. I, I reached out to many women-led theater companies in New York City and asked them, do they have anything that they would like to have be part of our festival in any way? Um, and that is how the first Women in Theater Festival was formed last year. And so this it is went really, really, well. really new. It's really new. Um, you know, I'm already in planning. I mean, you ask artistic director work. This, like, I'm just like going over contracts and uh, sweating my grant. Uh, Mm -hmm. my grant applications because we have the second one lined up and for that we have decided to commission two women playwrights to write plays for the theater with uh again um yeah majority or equal or majority women casts and how many, um how many plays did you have the first time in the festival yeah uh so last year we did 30 different projects wow 30 <laughs> okay. Um, um, are these all ten-minute plays? Insane. Are these full-length plays? Yeah, they're well. So, so, so last year we were really trying to figure out like what is, what is, what is this about? Is it about women artists? Is it about you know women plays? Is it about? So we also were like, well, let's let's just see like who are like women working across genres too. So, um, Katie Hartman is this incredible sketch person i will say sketch performer she's also an, um, yeah she, yeah you know her <laughs> oh yeah she she and uh uh nick ryan were uh at our ithaca fringe festival uh last year uh oh, yeah. and doing so she, she doing put the... together oh my god <laughs> it's a small world she's so, remarkable i, mean, I, I just, love her i i see her on stage and i love her like yes. to me she's incredible and so I talked, I spoke to her about it and I said, you know, like I'm doing a theater festival, but you know, you come from this mixture of, you know, you have a theater background, but you work in sketch, you have known all these comedians. Should we do some like totally crazy, like feminist, like just like a really funny, like, like hardcore feminist, like feminazi sort of, you know, tongue in cheek um, <laughs> comedy or something. So she put together this whole program of like, 
you know, these women comedian musicians, um, uh, people who were stand-ups, people who are do sketch, and then she did her own one-woman show as part of that. So we had so many strange things in this festival that were incredible. Um, we oh, also I, commissioned I Abby Fender, who's a playwright. Because uh, just oh, knowing Katie's I mean, mind is yeah, is... it was great. <laughs> but she 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 did a she did a podcast with us. Um, she and Nick uh, uh, did a podcast right after the uh, Ithaca Festival. They were doing their play Edgar Allan, which is highly twisted. But she was uh, uh-huh. just watching her get up on stage and play this really bizarre, really <laughs> tweaky. Yeah, it's, it's it, it was good. It was good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We also had a um a, a playwright. That, so uh, this woman who I uh, I read an article that she wrote um, that was really funny, and it was about watching theater. And I thought it was maybe the funniest thing I'd read in so long. And so I looked up this woman, and I contacted her, and I said, "Oh, I love your humor, and you obviously are a person of the theater." It turns out she is a playwright. Um, I'm doing this festival could you write an article about why a festival for women is important, why it's important to do plays by women? And she took it and she wrote an article that basically then gave us the slogan for our festival, which is um, beyond parody. Wait, wait, so and she wrote it. Her, who, who is yeah? this? It's Abby Fenbert. Abby Fenbert, who had the amazing F E N B E R T. Yes. So she 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 had this great article that was like laugh out loud funny to theater people about why you'd go to the theater. You know, I've, just I've, just with just it was on the toast, which recently shut down, and it was online, and it was something like you know a, a play is like a movie except people spit on. Or something, I mean, you know, things like that. Like, like it was so funny. Um, is, is that the piece that's on your website? No, that's the one that she wrote for us, and that and so that 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 article she wrote for the Women in Theater Festival. That's called Beyond Parody. Beyond, yeah. It's, I was going to talk about Beyond Parody. I'm I'm glad we got there. The quote from her piece on your website, I just absolutely fell in love with. Um, mm-hmm. It says, "Screw that." Give me 80, 20 women's voices. Now, today, the arts survived centuries of patriarchy. <laughs> Bet they can outlast a hot second of full-on misandry. Better the hell yet. Maybe this will drain sexism from the theater. Let's. Here's my favorite part. Let's flood the pool with our stories till the pool runs red with art and menzies. Victory or die. And I, uh, I sat here and I absolutely cheered. Oh my gosh. I know. It's really awesome. I mean, it's just so out there and it's funny, you know, it's, it's completely, she's serious and yet it's funny. Yes. And it's just that combination for me is so important that like, yeah, we did a women in theater festival and the pieces were just as diverse as any theater festival would be, you know, that's why I like we, the Kate Hartman in there who brought in, you know, all these, you know, insane acts like the reformed whores and like all of these just out there sort of uh, people who, who are amazingly talented and either serious or funny or dramatic, you know? And so Abby too, she's able to write in that way that you're just like, it's just totally radical. And yet um, it's with a sense of humor, 
because, you know, it's just like, yeah, we're just human beings. Do more of our work. Mm-hmm. Well, you can get almost anywhere with a sense of humor. You know, it's, you, you, really? You can... I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> no, seriously. You can, you can say the most horrible things to anybody about anybody about oh, life well, or whatever. As yeah. long as you put something in there that resonates with a sense of humor, because then a, you're not a wacko and B people listen to see right. if there's more humor. So you get yeah. an audience, you know, it's, it's manipulation yeah. at its most creative, but mm-hmm. it works, you know, which is, which mm-hmm. is why Abby Fenberg's uh, uh, piece just, just totally rocked me. So, yeah. And it's a radical piece too. Like yeah. she's on unapol- you know, it's, it's an unapologetic stance. And so it's like, and and so I don't know. Just having that. So we also in our program we printed that full article. So anybody who came to see anything had mm-hmm. that article. Um, so it wasn't just something that we did for our you know website. It was like no, this is we want you to read this. We want you to think about this, regardless of what piece they were seeing that evening. Yeah, uh, beyond parody is is a great concept because a lot of the. Um discussions we've had are to achieve parody which is you know always always the first step in in making anything balance out but mm-hmm. we did an interview with um uh Zakia alexander from the kilroys a little while ago uh-huh. and she was talking about trying to call you know plays written by women um and trans uh people and she spoke to one artistic producer a male of course who basically said yeah we're interested in it, but we just can't find anything good enough yeah, I know. And I, it's it struck me as I'm sorry. There's there's got to be like thousands and thousands of plays out there written by women, and you can't find something good enough. What exactly does good enough mean? Yeah, it's crazy. It's insane. It's insane. It, it is insane, and and I wonder if it's the the prevalent inability of the male gender to fully understand the female gender's workings and feelings and thoughts um, so that when they run across a play that, you know, contains that, it probably just confuses them. What do you think? I don't know. I think it's something about, um, I think a real problem is if you actually have it. And a lot of women playwrights actually don't even have this, like a female central protagonist. Like somehow then it's like, this odd thing of like, oh, well, you know, this is because of, um, you know, some experience that this woman has had that she's written this, this, whatever the subject of the play is. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, I think for women too, it's not just that men think like this. I think it's really hard for women to think, uh, to think in terms of a female central protagonist without it being like somehow tempered, like, or always in the back of your head that this is a woman, it does something to you, I guess. Um, and somehow it still is the case that a universal, you know, some, a universal journey of the story would only be won by a man. And it's just an old cultural thing that we have to kill, like just kill it dead. And the only way to do that is to have more stories, uh, more TV, more movies, more plays where women are a female central protagonist and then they're just the central protagonist. And that's, that can still be a universal story regardless of the gender, or we we don't have to somehow put it in a little box. Right. Um, it can there just normal. needs to be more. Yes. It just needs to become normal. Exactly. Yeah, it does. Um, well, that's what women in theater festival is working towards. So exactly. tell, tell us when the next one is, uh, where it's going to um, be, how we can get tickets. And uh, let's talk about your website. So, 
folks can find you and find out more good stuff? Great. Um, the next Women in Theater Festival, which is produced by Project Y Theater Company, will be in the brand new Art New York Theaters um, as part of their first season in Midtown New York in uh, June 2017. Tickets aren't on sale yet, but they will be, and you can find them through our website at projectytheater, with an RE, dot org. Sounds good. Um, terrific. All right. Nicole Bianca Biancasino, it has been wonderful speaking oh, with you. Oh, it's a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. And uh, this this is great. We're going to we're this uh, audience is going to just absolutely love this and you're going to get a whole bunch of people at the Women in Theater Festival. Great. Uh, just, and playwrights yeah. can always send us plays. Um, we have a we read everything that's sent to us through literary at projectytheater.org. Okay, you might have opened up a floodgate there. I know, what do you think uh, of that? (laughs) You might get one from me, who knows? See? Great. Anything's possible. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Hey kids, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes. If you like what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OnOffStage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or work in a part of theater that we haven't covered yet, or know of someone else in the theater who'd make some really good chat, please send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. Our intro and outro music is Surf Far, Surf Good by the composer Steve Channon. You can hear more of his work on SoundCloud. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again, and happy theatering to all of you. Thank you.